Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Namaste, my friends. This is Alec Vishal Rubin here to welcome you back to another episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. It is not often when we have the opportunity to listen and soak up deep wisdom from those who spent time with Patabi Joyce and BKS Iyengar, two great teachers who helped bring yoga here to the West. Today, I am so blessed to introduce to you one of my teachers, Eddie Modestini, someone who spent many years with both of these individuals. Eddie's passion for the practice is unparalleled, embodying the finest aspects of what creates an attentive teacher and a dedicated student. And we need the reminder of the daily practice every day to help us work with our insecurities, to work with our own congestion, to work with what's fantastic about us, what really our strengths but to be able to acknowledge our strengths and to look at our weaknesses and acknowledge what is. You see, many of us are involved in what could be, what was, or what will be. But what's very, very, very important to a yogi is what is. It is a true pleasure to reveal the world of yoga to you, coming from someone who has been on their mat since the early 80s. Enjoy this episode of the Yoga Revealed Podcast. Namaste, my friends, and welcome to Yoga Revealed Podcast. This is Alec, and I hope you're having an amazing day, wherever you are. Today, it brings me such a blessing and such honor to introduce to you Eddie Modestini, a very masterful teacher and an incredibly devoted practitioner and passionate practitioner of yoga. So, Eddie, thank you so much for revealing to the Hanuman Yoga community and to the Yoga Revealed community yoga as it has poured into your life. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very brother. much. Thank you. So for those who perhaps don't know who you are, could you give us a synopsis of who you are, how yoga came into your life, and perhaps a little uh, pre-you before yoga? Um, well, pre-me before yoga. 
I guess the best word to describe pre-me before yoga would be pain. I was in a lot of pain. I owned a farm in Colorado, a 30-acre fruit farm, and there were a lot of elk that wanted to eat my fruit trees. So I had to build an elk fence, which is 10 feet or 12 feet high, around 30 acres. And in doing that, I really hurt myself. I slipped two discs in my lumbar spine. And the, when I went to the doctor, they wanted to do what was called a double laminectomy. They wanted to laminate, laminate two joints in my spinal column. That scared me very much. So I backed away from that doctor and started looking for alternatives. It took me about a couple of years before I found yoga. And once I found yoga, it took me about 10 years to get out of pain, which required a tremendous amount of faith because the yoga postures hurt me mm. at first. Mm. Um, but I felt relief in the rest of my practice, in the, excuse me, in the rest of my life. So because I felt relief in the rest of my life, I had the faith to continue to go into that yoga room and cause that pain in my legs and my back. And um, so pre-me yoga was pain. It took me about 10 years to be pain-free. And I haven't been in pain since, really. Maybe a little emotional pain, a little mental pain sometimes. <laughs> but my body is free. Mm. And my mind is freer than it was, and so is my heart. All because of my yoga practice. Wow. Mm. And that from finding a yoga practice while you were in pain, who, what style of practice did you begin to approach? I did Iyengar yoga for the first 10 years of my yoga experience. And then I read an article in Yoga Journal about Ashtanga yoga. I called the number at, at, that was at the end of the article and I said, I want to go to Mysore to study with Patabi Joyce. And the person on the other end, who I still don't know who it was, said, you can't go there. You have to study with me first. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? I'm a certified Iyengar yoga teacher. And they said, yeah, but that's not good enough. This is Ashtanga yoga, which is very true. And you need to study with me first. So I hung up the phone and I lost interest. And it, about a year later... Tim Miller and Beryl Bender Birch were teaching at Omega Institute. I went to that workshop. We did first series for a week, and that was it for me. I fell in love with Ashtanga Yoga, and I practiced that until Patabi Joyce passed on, which was about 25 years I got to be with him, which was wow. really, really special. Wow. Very thankful for that. You went to Mysore every year for 25 years? No, we did, I didn't go every year. I, until I had kids, I went every year for the first eight years. And then we had children. And when the kids were really little, we didn't go. But when my daughter was seven and my son was five, we went over there with the kids. And then we went... Um, I would go over by myself with Tim without the family. 
and Nikki would try to sneak a trip in without, you know, we flip-flop, so to speak. But it wasn't like the old days when we could go there and spend four months at a time without a lot of responsibilities and just letting ourselves be yoga. It, it's different when, when family time comes. Mm. So you just said be yoga, and I, I love that. I try to live my life every more and more as if I'm, I'm embodying a practice of yoga where we hear a lot doing yoga. Can you speak to doing, being in this concept of our yoga? I know. <laughs> well, it's, it's a little it, volatile, perhaps. It is. It is. It's a hard subject because um, practicing asana is part of becoming yoga. It takes some time for yoga to seep in. And we need to visit regularly for it to seep in. But it's a lifestyle. It's not an exercise format. Yoga, the part that looks like exercise, we use the body to permeate the mind. Patanjali, which is the patron saint of yoga, says that the body is the easiest vehicle to the mind. The purpose of yoga is to cease the agitations and calm the fluctuations of the mind. So it's really about the mind. We practice asana so we can learn how to appreciate the internal landscape of our being. We're polishing the temple, so to speak, so the temple can house the energy of who we are without congestion you see, the body's congested, and our spirit coming through this congested body gets confused. It gets sidetracked. So we practice the asanas to get clarity in the body, which brings clarity into the mind, which brings balance into the heart, and then we can live in harmony with all human beings and the planet. You know, we could see very, very easily that we're a little askew because the planet that we live in is suffering. And it's suffering because of us. That's a little scary. This planet's my responsibility. That's why I teach yoga. Because I know if I could help people get centered, that they will wake up and stop abusing the planet the way they are and stop abusing themselves the way they are. We can be very self-limiting and self-defeating as human beings. And it's very important that those qualities are tempered and that we realize our potential and that we express the love that we came here to express. And then we'll take care. See, the practice of yoga is learning how to take care of yourself. We start with the asanas. We adjust our body. We're caring for ourselves. We're trying to make the asanas clearer. In learning how to care for ourselves, we really are learning how to love ourselves. There's not many places we can go to learn how to love ourselves. I mean, look at the messages we get in society, you know, and that leads us to striving, to struggling. You know, but really, you are a perfect individual mm. and a beautiful human being. Mm. And for you to really feel that 
in the totality of your heart, in the totality of your mind, and to know your greatness is something that you deserve. And that's what yoga gives you. That's why yoga, I love the name of your podcast, <laughs> Yoga Revealed. I mean, yoga reveals. You know, yoga gives you what's called Deva Drishti, the ability to see the divine in everything. Mm. Ishvara. So, and that's what we're here practicing. Mm. You know, when something came up for me when uh, all the messages of society and uh, these like new age, I don't want to call them samskaras, but like their imprints that society creates on us from social news. And a lot of it is fear-based. So this fear, you know, people, sometimes myself, I won't speak for everyone, but like myself, we can see these concepts that come in and it's like, ah, how can we continue to tap into this ever-encompassing concept of, of love that, that you're speaking of, like the foundation of what you're speaking of? So... The asanas, that's why there's so many different postures. Mm. You know, they say there's a hundred thousand bugs, there's a hundred thousand asanas. Mm. I mean, the asanas are bugs, basically. <laughs> We're copying animals and bugs. We do downward dog. We do the locust. You know, we're copying other <laughs> other beings on this mm -hmm. planet that stretch into the, the totality of their being. Mm. So we watch them stretch into the totality of their being, and then we learn how to do it. And if we're working with fear, we pick the pose that elicits fear the most and continue to practice that pose. Which is that pose? It's handstand. There's no other pose that elicits fear like handstand. You know, some people might say, well, backbends make me more afraid than handstand does. But most people find fear when they try to jump upside down as an adult. As a child, we find fun. Mm -hmm. We play. But as an adult, there is some fear there. So all these different poses give us the format to work with all the qualities that exist in our being, whether it came from our DNA society, our ancestors, our school, our programming, our insecurities, whatever has influenced us, we can work with that influence and cultivate a free mind and heart through the practice of yoga because we pick the asanas that will help us Remove the congestion that exists within our being, whether it's a mental congestion, an emotional congestion, or a physical congestion. The practice gives us the ability to alleviate that congestion so that we can have free flow within our being. Have you, as you have practiced so diligently to dissolve the, the, the clutter of body of mind over many years, how have you transmitted that to your students? I share my understanding of the asanas with my students, and that seems to reveal 
avenues that they can embark on that will enable them to see more of themselves. Yoga reveals the, what we don't see. You know, it's easy for us to see the front body, but it's hard for us to see the back body. So if we want to understand our back body, we might do backward bending poses. If we want to understand the past, how we got here, we might want to do backward bending poses. If we want to cultivate a future, we might want to do forward bending poses. If we want to get centered, we might want to do twisting poses. So we use these poses, and it's not like I don't get thrown off by my center, whether it's waiting in line and I get impatient, or somebody triggers something in me from my childhood and I get angry <laughs> or hurt. Samadhi is something that's cultivated on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. People say you can, you reach samadhi, so it feels like it's a destination that you arrive at, but it's really a destination that you continually cultivate. Hmm. I've seen even the most high masters get thrown right off their horse. And to see how fast they come back and how unwavering they are as they're groveling out of the mud. You know, my, my teacher had a son commit suicide. Uh, I've had my teachers, I've seen work with intense challenge and stay yoga. Mm. That is inspiration. You know, to see my teacher give up his asana practice the most valuable thing in his life when he lost his son it was a pretty intense thing. The thing that supported him more than anything in the face of that loss for him to let go of that, you know, and that's why we, we have these teachers because they can be examples for us because this is, you know, being, be living a life of, Complete integrity is a, is a challenging thing, and it's difficult, and we need the reminder of the daily practice every day to help us work with our insecurities, to work with our own congestion, to work with what's fantastic about us, what really our strengths but to be able to acknowledge our strengths and to look at our weaknesses and acknowledge what is. You see, many of us are involved in what could be, what was, or what will be. But what's very, very, very important to a yogi is what is. So to try to make lemonade from lemon, so to speak, to really make that sweet, nectar from whatever life brings to you is the way that I try to show to my students that yoga is a great path. It's not the only great path. It's one of the great paths. And it leads you to meditation, which might be, it is yoga. Mm -hmm. Yoga and meditation can't be separated. 
yoga and asana can't be separated. Yoga and pranayama can't be separated. And yoga and every moment, the totality of your expression can't be separated. That's why it's so popular these days to say, take yoga off the mat and into the world. And thank God for someone like Sean, who actually is very proactive in doing that. I love that she does that. To really show people that yoga is more than the clothes, than the asanas, than the practice, than being fit, than saying the right words. Yoga is the way we treat our family. Mm. It's the family that's most important too. Because you know that's the hardest place, right? Isn't it? Yes. For you? I mean, yes. isn't the family the most? And Guruji said, Patabi Joyce said, you know, staying in a marriage and having children is the strongest yoga. Hmm. And Sean was one of your students. Sean Korn? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I was... Um, I had the opportunity to share in the teacher training that she took along with Saul Ray, Shiva Ray, <laughs> Matt Pesendian, Max Strom. They were all in the same teacher training. And Lisa Walford, Matthias Ratti, and myself were the teachers in that teacher training. And it was one of the greatest (laughs) (laughs) experiences of my life to have all this substance to work with. And I remember the first day I walked up to the most challenging thing. Max Strom had had several surgeries on both his feet. And that's the first place I went in the room. I went right next to Matt's. Max standing in Tadasana and I sat next to his feet and I started working with his feet and the whole rest of the teacher training was like that just really helping people with the challenges that they're experiencing in their practice and that's what I think is really really lacking in yoga teaching today is that teachers connecting with students is something that is at a deficit these days. To actually be able to help students with the challenges in their practice, not just to lead people through a cool sequence of postures with nice music, but to actually help people in their struggle with what they're struggling with personally is what I think my teaching is is about that's what I try to do if I could help if I could reach five or six people in a class and if I could do that in every class then I feel like I'm really connecting to the individuals and that connection reverberates out into the rest of the planet to just go into a yoga class and not connect with people just to connect with the music just to connect with the flow just to connect with the asanas it's not enough as yoga teachers, we need to know how to help students, how to connect with them, and really how to love them. Because we're not loving them if we're not helping them. So we really need to help people. And that's the message that I have for yoga today. Mm. That please, if you're teaching yoga, help your students. Mm. If you do that, you're doing a great service to yoga and for yourself 
and your students. I find it so beautiful during that whole share. You're not looking at me. You're looking into the mic and I can see you're just transmitting a true prayer, a wish, a hope, uh, uh, an offering to not only our listeners, but like you said, all the yoga teachers. And I received that. Thank you. Thank you for that. So through consistent yoga practice, a daily practice, you know, we, we eventually, the honeymoon phase passes, right? You know, Richard likes to talk about the honeymoon phase. And yeah. That's when the yoga really <laughs> begins to uh, 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 show up. In your life, it seems maybe perhaps you didn't have that honeymoon phase right away because you were in pain. And it, perhaps, you know, how has discomfort arisen when you were in pain or perhaps when you had the honeymoon phase and the honeymoon went down and then discomfort arised or today when you practice whatever how do you relate to discomfort well now i relate to discomfort um in a different way i would run from discomfort when i first started my asanas i would try to make my adjustments to alleviate my pain you know you hear yoga teachers say there should not be pain in your knees Okay. or the joints of the body. Like, let's have the sensation between the joints, like in the middle, between the knee and the hip, mm. like in the middle of the bone. But I would have pain in my knees, and I would run from that pain. And at first, that didn't really help me, just running from the pain, because it, it was a fear response, and it was controlling me. And it wasn't until I turned and faced my pain that I got to really start to alleviate the pain. So, and I also had it easier than I think most yoga students have it. Because I was in pain about 18 hours a day, every day, back pain nagging, sometimes very hard, strong, sometimes subtle, but pain in my lower back all the time. So when I started, when I, I started meditation, I got more pain. <laughs> Trying to sit with my knees about the height of my eyes. And um, then I started Tai Chi and that was painful. And then I went to my Tai Chi teacher and I said, how am I doing? And he said, you know, you're really stiff. I think you need something stronger. And he took me to my first asana class. And in the asana classes, stretching didn't hurt because I was so stiff. It didn't move. So I couldn't move my body. So I couldn't really pull on the muscles because they were too tight to pull. They wouldn't give at all. So it took several months of practicing yoga, maybe years to get sore for me when I first started because I was so hmm. congested and restricted and in so much pain, I was just tense all the time. Hmm. The profound level of tension in my body, I wasn't even aware of, but I was always braced 
against the pain that was in my life. So I actually found from doing the asanas that they didn't hurt me so much, but I was in less pain the next day. <laughs> so there was more motivation for me to go through the asanas than someone that has no pain in their life and they do the practice and it hurts. See, I had pain in my life. I did the practice and alleviated the pain in my life. Mm. So it was very easy for me to re revisit the practice that for many people is very painful. So, you know, I feel like I, it was easier for me. And the honeymoon grew. It was a love affair that grew <laughs> because as there was less pain throughout my day, my appreciation for the practice grew more and more. And I began to really see or believe or not believe. See, I had faith that this thing would free me of pain. But it took a few years of practice to know that deeply in my heart. Even though I was still in pain, I didn't know for a couple of years, maybe two or three, maybe it was my first trip to India, that yes, I was right, this was going to do it. And it wasn't for many years till I got free of pain. And I'm still, you know, it still nullifies that which can be perceived as painful in my being, even to this day. You know, when I, when I experience a reaction to something that happens either inside myself or outside myself, and I look at that, I could return to the breath, and I could focus my mind on the breath, and I could bring myself into the present moment, and all those disharmonious vibrations that are in my body in my mind and in my heart leave much faster than they used to. It used to take hours to come down from a reaction. And now it's just a few moments. Mm -hmm. So that's how the practice, and it's the practice of doing those poses day in and day out, revisiting them and looking for comfort. Do the pose and look for comfort. Don't run from your pain, but look for comfort. Cultivate comfort in your life, whether it's through asana or meditation. Most people are not comfortable in their own skin. And you could feel it with some people. When you walk up to somebody like you, we were just with Richard. You walk next to Richard, you, within a few feet of getting close to him, you could feel that he's comfortable in his being, mm -hmm. that he's taken to the time to cultivate that comfort inside himself. That's what yoga practice gives you. Mm. It gives you comfort inside yourself. And it's unmistakable. You could, you could see it in somebody. It comes through their eyes. Even if they don't look at you, it comes through their skin. You could feel someone that's comfortable. 
And that's what yoga has available to everybody on this planet. And I love that. Earlier you were talking about Patavi Joyce, and uh, I'd wanted to ask, what was that like? Eight people in the room. And what year are we talking? 90, 91, there was still eight. You know, 91, at Christmas time at 91, it grew to 25. By the end of November, it was about 12. And I remember when the 13th person had to wait on the steps. And when we say the room, I have an idea of what you're speaking of. And I'm so excited to go to my store in December for the first time. But maybe some of our listeners do not know. Well, Patabi Joyce used to live in this little town called, or section of Mysore called Lakshmi Puram. And he had a little tiny house in Lakshmi Puram. And in his little tiny house, there was two stories, but it was quite small. There was a little yoga room. It was kind of the basement. It was down some stairs from the kitchen. And there was enough room. When I first started in the room, there was two rows of four. And then as two more people came, there was two rows of five. And then he made two rows of six, and that was mat to mat. And then there was space between the two rows and he would put two people in the middle facing each other so they would get kicked by people jumping back. So nobody wanted the middle spot. Richard was in the front left-hand corner and I was next to him on special days. And then it was Annie Pace, Matias Rati, Chuck Miller, Nikki Doan, Eddie Stern, John Scott... Tim Miller, yeah, it was a great, great group that I was so blessed to be with and really didn't deserve to be with because they were all very advanced practitioners and I was a beginner for Ashtanga Yoga. I had done Iyengar Yoga for 10 years, but I was still a beginner in Ashtanga Yoga and it was... um, It's intense. It was intense and Guruji would speak very broken English, but he loved us and that's what I got from Guruji. His love. Mm. He whispered the most important medical benefits for every pose in first series in my ear. And I don't know one other student that he's done that for because he recognized that I was a student of Mr. Angar and he knows that Mr. Angar was interested in the medical application of yoga postures for disease. And Patabi Joyce saw that in me He met me at my level, and then he continued to teach me his yoga, which was a very beautiful thing. So he taught me many things at once. Mm -hmm. He taught me how to meet my students. He taught me how to care for my students. He taught me how to love my students. And he taught me how to teach yoga asanas in a loving way. Mr. Angar taught me how to be a technitioner. He taught me how to see and understand bodies. Because Mr. Iyengar possessed such a high quality of Deva Drishti. He could see everything. Watching him look at people taught me how to see more than I could. I started yoga very confused. And there are still confusing moments in my yoga life. But they're less than there were. And it's from being around these great teachers. So it's very important to find a great, great teacher and to stay with them. 
not to hop from teacher to teacher because we all have agreed to disagree. All the teachers in yoga disagree. And the great thing about it is that every single path in yoga works, whether you call it Maha Yoga or Ashtanga Yoga or Iyengar Yoga or Vini Yoga or any name before yoga, all the systems of yoga work. There's all these different personalities of individuals that find a connection to these different systems and they work for those people. I love that all yoga works for everybody. I love that, that we could all find a healing, whether it's this yoga or that yoga. Does the name really matter? It's all yoga. We have more in common with each other than we have different. So why discuss all the differences? Life is yoga. Mm. So in the moments when confusion today <clears throat> will still arise, or even in uh, contrast to just a few minutes ago, uh, uh, when challenging thoughts, you know, and uh, just this opaque view comes over our eyes for a moment, what tools do you use in your life where now it's very quick, as you said, but many perhaps years ago, it was not as quick hours just being hours. afflicted. Hours of affliction. What tools do you use or observations of mind do you use to, to um, um, free yourselves of, that, of these chains that just like weigh us down? So the, the chain, you, you, you cut the chains by being in the present moment. The chains are usually attached to the past or the present, uh, excuse me, or the future. That, that which boggles us, even if it's a reaction, we're lamenting on the reaction. It's, it's really a few moments ago, right? Yeah. So a practiced yogi has the power of the breath, which means that they've taken the time to cultivate an intimate, deep relationship with the breath. And in the moment of challenge or imbalance or however you describe it, the yogi, because they have the practice, can find their breath fast. And that's why they could return to the present moment. Because the struggle is in the past, it's in the future. The present moment is free. Mm. Nothing is as potent to inject you into the present moment as the breath. You can't breathe later. You can't breathe tomorrow. You might be breathing tomorrow, but that's an idea. You can't breathe in the past. The only place breath can really live is right now. So the mind, all the concepts, all the ideas, can fade away in the presence of the sound of the breath. And as the breath is cultivated, you know, when I first started doing Ashtanga Yoga, I would... (sighs) 
<laughs> you know, and <laughs> it got less forceful and more balanced. But now my breath is so soft that the quality is quieter than the fluid that moves inside my body. It's quieter than the heartbeat so that I could really take the time to study my internal environment and then use the breath to move it into a more sattvic place. See, I think, personally, I think the breath should be sattvic, should be soft, should be not exaggerated. But when we start, it's like, just like when we start the postures, we see somebody do the posture and we really try to make it look just like them. So we're, we're striving, we're struggling more. And as we practice, we get more and more comfortable with the poses. They start to open up a little bit and there's less struggle. There's more just existing in the posture, being in the pose, mm. not striving, not reaching for the pose. You don't need to reach for it because at a certain point you land. You know, we try to do and then we are doing and we're doing and we're doing and after a while we arrive and then we're here and then we have to just allow absorption. That's what it's about, right? absorption, to be fully absorbed inside other beings, inside your own being, inside the totality of your environment, is to be fully connected. And that's what we're trying to do, to connect. Mm. That's what the yogi is. The yogi's connected to themselves, and because they're connected to themselves, they're connected to everyone else around them, which unifies humanity and the planet and gives us the opportunity to really nurture our mother the way our mother nurtures us. We're being caressed by this earth in every moment. We call it gravity. <laughs> that our mother is hugging us, caressing us, can we caress this planet in a non-toxic way, emotionally, mentally, and physically? We're polluting our own home. We're killing ourselves. In 1900, one in 50 people had cancer. Today, 2016, it's somewhere like one in five, one in six. Those statistics are scary. And if we follow the progression, it's only 15 years before it's 100%. That's an environmental thing that we created through chemical toxicity. Mm. We have to stop. We have to clean up ourselves and clean up our environment. And yoga can do that. That's the beauty of it. I believe in this. This is my life. Yoga has given me everything. It's given me my wife, my farm, my children. Every, everything in my life has come to me from yoga. So 
I have to teach and I'm so thankful to share all that you've given me the opportunity to share with you. Thank you. Just a few more questions and yeah. Mm, wow. If we are to change to heal our planet, you know, we hear it from Gandhi. It starts with ourselves on a mass level. Does it start with ourselves? You know, like you're changing. I, I hope that I'm making efforts in my life every day to better myself and to show up for myself so I can show up for my brothers and sisters who are, who are in affliction. But what about others who perhaps aren't yet ready to make steps forward into their own evolution where they perhaps are still in affliction? How, how can we just by simply being in our own action is this is this the imprint that we create on others by being our best and therefore oh look at this person shining so bright i want to taste that see i think the ripples have their their effect i think the vibrations go out you know we can't change people because of our ideas but we can live as you quoted gandhi we can be an example we can try to live to our highest vision and hopefully you know we can be successful at that on a on a regular basis and that's what the practice is about that's why you know people put their mat over their shoulder and they say i'm going to practice and i see them walk into a yoga class they're going to study they're not going to practice. Practice is at home alone, where you get to work with what comes up for you in the privacy of your own moment. Not with another teacher's vibration, with another teacher making suggestions. That's studying. That's studying somebody else's idea of yoga, how they experience yoga. But Really, the practice of yoga is looking at what bubbles up for you. And when you do that for yourself, even if that person isn't ready, that's over there in the next house, that vibration goes out. Hmm. You're looking at your stuff. You're evolving. If you're in the, in the path of evolve, that will have an influence, I believe, and will ripple out and affect those who might not be ready. I'm not ready to take the next step that I will take in a year from now. 20 years ago, I wasn't ready to put my foot on my head or whatever, so to speak. But we all are making progressive steps. We're all evolving. As a, as a human race and we're we're all going together so where we go will affect others and we can make choices on how we're going to deal with the emotions that come up for us with the circumstances that come up for us how we're when somebody makes us angry what are we going to do how are we going to act hmm. Are we going to see that this person 
that that yes, I have anger vibrating in me, but it's really because that person might have hurt me a little bit. Maybe I could deal with this in a more compassionate way than spewing a reaction on to somebody else. Now, I, this is something that I'm really focusing on in my life to to try to be a blessing to those around me in every moment, even if I get triggered. Because mm-hmm. I do, I still get triggered. You know, I, I don't know that that will ever stop. I, I read about it. Sometimes they say when you're fully realized, you're not triggered anymore. You know, I, I, I guess I'm not fully realized because I'm still triggered, but I stay in that reactive state much less of my life. That's what yoga's given me, in all honesty. I mean, I can't say that I don't react. It's not true. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Don't be sorry. <laughs> Two more questions. How have you maintained yoga practice, which spans over many doorways, right? Over the course of your lifetime. So the question for our listeners is, how do we sustain our yoga practice over the course of our life? I'm a young 25-year-old, and I hope to be practicing when I'm 98. Right. Every day, whatever it looks like. Right. So, you know, many people have uh, what we call responsibilities, (laughs) right? We have to earn money. We have to take care of our families. We have to take care of ourselves. Um, With these responsibilities comes restrictions of time and the thing that I hear most well why don't you practice yoga I don't have enough time Mm. that's but it's the practice of yoga that slows down the time that creates the time that gives you the time to practice so for many years I set the alarm and I got up too early to even speak of. That was before children. And then I had children, and then I would practice during the naps. And then, as the children got older, I started getting much more invitations to go teach. I started traveling and teaching, and then I would be practicing in hotel rooms. And and sometimes, it was just a half hour of hip openers and sometimes it was six hours of back bends. You know, so my practice has fluctuated so much. Sometimes it's just sitting quiet and just taking enough time to find the comfort in my being, except that that is all that I have time to do that day. Because I need to take care of my kids or other things that are demanding my attention. So to just lock yourself in a cave isn't necessarily living a yogic lifestyle, but it's interfacing, it's interacting, it's being creative as possible and returning to that which is the source, which is your teacher and your practice. Check in with the teacher 
and stay consistent with your practice. Because as you practice, what the teacher needs to tell you is going to change. That's some of the dangers, the dangers of, see, of being with a teacher and then never seeing them again, mm-hmm. is as your practice evolves, you might need to do things differently. And what you practiced as a beginner might not be appropriate anymore as an intermediate practitioner and certainly isn't appropriate as an advanced practitioner. So it's always great to check in with a teacher and say, well, how can I, my body's changing, how do I work with my practice to really match my body now, which is different from my body 10 years ago? which is different from what my body will be 10 years from now. So that's why the teacher is so beneficial, because they have that objective perspective, that Deva Drishti to help you see yourself. Because it's hard to see ourselves. You know, in this society, we go and pay people and ask them questions about ourselves. It's called therapy. You know, a lot of money. I don't understand. I'm confused about myself. Well, yoga gives you that insight. And working with a teacher magnifies that insight. That's Mm -hmm. why most of the yogic texts say, work with a teacher personally. Because they have that Deva Drishti. They have that objective eye on you that can see, oh, well, maybe if you just move your leg, or maybe if you just breathe, or maybe if you just look, change this that or the other thing that you'll find a more harmonious experience in your practice and that's why we check in and that's why we check in with the practice which is personal on our own and that's why we check in with the teacher which is the relationship so that we can continue to monitor the evolution of our spirituality Mm. What advice would you have for those who feel that they haven't found a teacher to perhaps take them in or to rep- be, see someone as a teacher? You got to find a teacher. You got to find it. You got to look. Look for a teacher. Find a teacher. You know, you don't connect with everybody you study yoga with. I, I've studied yoga with so many people, and some I would walk in, and within a moment I knew that I would never leave them in my heart. I hear their words, I feel their body, I could visualize the way they walk. And some, I don't remember. We connect who we connect with. Find who you're connecting with as a teacher. Stay with them. When the connection starts to dissipate or when the honeymoon's over, so to speak, maybe you find a new teacher. I've had many different teachers in my life and I don't think there's anything wrong with going from teacher to teacher. Many it's chapters. Just, many chapters, but the chapters should last a few years, yeah. not a few days. Right. Because it's like, a, it's like trying to dig a well and looking for water. If you dig a hole one foot deep and say, there's no water here, and then you move over to the next place and you say, I think there might be water here, and you go down two feet, and then you say, oh, no, there's no water here. You have to go down 25 feet. You have to stay with the teacher. Dig deep. Hmm. Go. There's probably something there. The water's down. Down. You got to keep digging. Dig, dig, dig. You go deep. 
<laughs> Don't dig a bunch of shallow holes. <laughs> Going from teacher to teacher. It's nice to have the experience of all these different methods. It's really nice to feel the uniqueness of all these different systems. But really try to make a home for yourself. Mm. Where you find a system, a teacher that connects, and work with them for a while so that you could start to look at the things that are difficult to see within yourself. Just meet, it takes a while for the teachers to see your patterns. So, you know, I might see things in my students that I haven't seen the first two or three or four years or 20 years. You know, I have students that are 25 years with me and, you know, Mm. I'm still changing things for them as I see them. Mm. So we're all discovering and we're all hoping to stay open mm -hmm. in our hearts, mm -hmm. in our minds and with our eyes so that we can stay with yoga. Because yoga is a river. And as a river makes its own path, yoga is making its own path through humanity. And it's picking the people that it needs to promote itself in a very beautiful way. So you've done a great thing to support yoga as you take it on yourself. And hopefully I can pay back to yoga all the blessings that it has given to me. Hmm. And what would one final golden nugget of love, of wisdom that you would offer to our listeners as they carry forward on their path of humanness, being a yogi? You know, it doesn't matter what you practice to evolve. Yeah, I'm a yoga teacher. I might say practice yoga. But any practice, whether it's dance, tai chi, walking meditation, sitting meditation, any consistent practice will help bring a person into the process of evolution. So whatever you want to do, whether it's dance, climb a mountain, find a personal practice, use your mind creatively and focus on that personal practice and grow as an individual. Thank you. Thank you, Eddie. It has been such a blessing and a true honor. I will truly cherish this hour. And uh, I, I will speak for our listeners that I had tears in my heart and a tear in my eye uh, many times. The, the passion that you just pour and exude, it's so clear how in love with yourself you are and with life and with yoga. And uh, thank you so much for, for revealing yoga as it has revealed you in this life to all of us thank you you know i really feel that yoga is the most powerful self-reliant healing system on the planet you know most of us go to other practitioners to seek healing but in yoga all you need is a space it can heal you take on this practice and you will be a participant of the healing of the nations. Namaste, brother. Namaste. Yoga Revealers, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today. What a download of insight and wisdom that was. 
You can follow Eddie on his social media pages at Edward Modestini on Facebook and Eddie Modestini Yoga on Instagram. Stay tuned to learn about his upcoming events and trainings in 2017 as his website is being revamped soon. But for now, it's at eddiemodestini.com. This is Alec Vishal Rubin, and it is a blessing to share the love for life that yoga has to share with us. Stay tuned for more interviews with Eddie towards the end of this year. We got some awesome interviews coming. Be sure to visit yogarevealed.com and sign up for our newsletter where we release special content and learning opportunities for you. The Yoga Revealed podcast team is extremely grateful for you. Keep practicing, love life, and shine on. Namaste. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.